funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. gentlemen welcome to another episode of the silver screen video guys we are back we have another great guest this is jonathan here with my co-host jacob jacob how's it going it's good man we're on a guest roll we got uh we we we, we put a bunch of episodes in the in the can and now uh, we're finally releasing them and uh this week we got a uh a really fun episode where we talk about david cronenberg with alex kachuta uh, which I am pronouncing that name correctly, uh, and nobody needs to correct my pronunciation. That was the perfect. No, we we did confirm with with Alex about the pronunciation of her name, and you did get it right. Um, so, yeah, uh, Alex was a great guest, guys. Now we talked about Cronenberg, like Jacob said, and you know what? You're gonna find out in the episode. But God, he's so gross, like. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Like, I don't really gross out, I guess. I guess I do. Maybe I've been proven wrong by watching Cronenberg movies. Um, well, I, I feel like, slimy insects. Well, I feel like his movie is his movies are for people who think that they don't get grossed out by like movies. And then you watch something like this and you're like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, <laughs> Jeff, well, Cody I'll tell you, his fucking skin off. I was scarred for a while because I was eating spaghetti as a child while I watched Dawn of the Dead. Ooh. And that was a mistake. And I was scarred for a while. But then I got over it and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm good. Like, nothing really bothers me. And then I, I I watched The Fly. And as you guys will hear, when when ears start falling off and, and, and other things happen, I'm just like, oh, God, get me the fuck out of here. Um, yeah, there's something really yeah. unsettling about the decay of the human body. I'm pretty sure we talk about it at some length, but just like, like, have you ever seen uh, Arrested Development? You've seen Arrested Development, right? Yeah. Like there, when Tobias, uh, David Cross's character in that show gets like hair plugs and he starts like deteriorating, like it's like ostensibly a comedy, but like he's like peeling skin off of his lips and he's essentially just like, uh, just just his body is decaying at a rapid rate and they're like it's so there's something so disgusting about that man it's like the fragility of human life or something i don't know cronenberg is tapping into that shit though yeah but at least i could laugh in arrested development i did i could not laugh at, at this um sure speaking of arrested development just go ahead and say r.i.p jessica walter she was mm. a real one uh yeah, yeah so um yeah, so Alex has a podcast too, guys. The Subversive Podcast. She also has a Substack. She's a writer, a critic. All that's in the show notes. Be sure to check her podcast out if you want your mind to be blown on uh, an array of subjects. So, yeah, she's she's really smart, um, really good writer, really good, just kind of general social critic. Um, we loved having her on. She's got some great, uh, great Cronenberg opinions and uh, movie opinions in general, and. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Should we get to it? Yeah, guys, uh, I'm sure you already know this, but we'll say it anyway. Check out the Silver Screen video after dark. That is our Patreon. We're working on some new things for our Patreon. We're working on a couple of new series and other things that we're excited to talk about in the coming weeks. And uh, also, we will be getting back to director episodes, not the next episode, but the one after. We're not going to announce the director. We'll keep it a uh, 
a, a surprise, but we are pumped about it. Um, but Silver Screen Video After Dark, check that out, guys. No, it will be in the show notes, but it's um, where can they find it, Jacob? Patreon.com slash Silver Screen Video. And uh, John was being a little coy about it, and uh, I will too. We got some surprises coming on the Patreon. We got a couple of got a couple of series that we're gonna do. We're gonna switch it up a little bit on the Patreon front. We everybody's been having a good time over there, but uh, we got a couple of we got a couple of extra surprises for you guys. So uh, check that out if you're interested. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you because this might be the first time in the history of us doing this podcast where I said we're gonna keep it a surprise, and you immediately spoil it. So um, yes, I'm glad that you I didn't spoil it this time. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so guys, we really enjoyed having Alex. It was a great conversation about Cronenberg and uh, we can get to it unless you got anything to add, Jacob. No, let's get to it, man. Okay, guys, enjoy this episode with Alex and thanks for stopping by the silver screen video. Folks, our guest this week is a brilliant writer whose work you can find on her Substack, uh, Alex Kashuta's Garden of Earthly Delights. She also hosts the podcast Subversive, which you can find at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Please welcome to the show, Alex Kashuta. Hi, Alex. Great to be here. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the show, Alex. Yeah. So I want to start out by asking you a little bit about uh, Romanian film culture. Uh, because you're uh, so kind to join us uh, from Romania, um, halfway across the world from where we are, of course. But I'm curious, what um, what is everyday film culture in Romania like? Um, has Netflix ruined movie going there like it has, you know, in the rest of the world? Yeah, I think it's, you know, especially lately, it's been a combination of, of Netflix and COVID. And, you know, the, the last little ember of, of movie culture has been snuffed out completely. Um, you know, people have definitely understood that, you know, you can you can kind of watch movies on your couch and that whatever slop Netflix is fleeting you this this month, you know, it's a chess prodigy lady or whatever, um, you know, intersectional <laughs> thing that's that's trending now is what you need to see. So it's it's quite accelerated the adoption of a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of ideas from from the uh, Netflix West as well. Um, but yeah, I think generally movie culture is, is was kind of like a, a fledgling thing here. You know, cinemas, we had maybe a few old school cinemas during communism. Then those kind of went out of business for a few years after communism because, you know, everything was kind of held together with with string and, and you know, very sure. <laughs> and duct tape before. Um, and then we kind of had this Western style IMAX you know, self cinemas. So oh, well, it's yeah. all, yeah, because, you know, we didn't really have any infrastructure, commercial infrastructure here. So the first people who came and built cinemas and uh, they didn't really respect the old, you know, communist cinemas, they were like either torn down or abandoned. Um, so they just built, you know, IMAX style, you know, big uh, megaplexes, cineplexes. Um, right. and, and filled them with, you know, the most mainstream blockbuster Marvel things that you can imagine. So um, even the idea to have like, you know, kind of like auteur cinema somewhere, may maybe there's one cinema in Bucharest, but um, there's not really anything else going on nationally, unfortunately. You know, that's interesting because um, I know that, you know, Romanian cinema of, 
I say lately, but maybe over the past like 15 years, you know, this Romanian new wave, uh, which I guess is what people are calling it of these. Um, I'm thinking movies like uh, four months, three weeks and two days, um, the death of Mr. Lazarescu and police adjective. And even this year, I think Malmkrog, which I'm sure I'm, I'm mispronouncing and hasn't been released here. But, you know, these these movies kind of make the festival circuit. Uh, in the West, and they kind of garner, you know, a lot of attention, a lot of awards. And I was wondering, I I mean, these seem like really, you know, kind of austere, realist, minimalist, you know, some like pitch black uh, comedy. Um, Do these movies have much of a presence in Romania? Or is this kind of like, um, you know, the West uh, kind of picking out a, a few different uh, like low key movies that no one in Romania actually sees, you know, what, what's the reality, I guess there. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of somewhere in between these two extremes because, um, you know, p- people have seen these movies. They're mm-hmm. not as popular as the Marvel movies, <laughs> but right, right. they're, they're also kind of known because of their fame in the West. So um, if, you know, the death of, of Mr. Lazarescu or, um, you know, any other, you know, kind of famous Romanian movie wasn't critically acclaimed in the West, I would be very surprised if people would see it in Romania. So it's kind of like one of those things like, oh, this right. is this is what the Western people think is is cool. Um, and I also think, I mean, this is just me being a bit of a, a critic. It seems to me like, you know, these movies in the, in the Romanian new wave are kind of straddling the, you know, the, the, the realities of, of, you know, form communist Romania, because they all kind of have this kind of dark, you know, brutalist aesthetic. And then, um, they're kind of repackaging it in a way to, to make it interesting for Western audiences. So, cause these aren't necessarily movies for Romanians, you know, this is, they're, right. they're they're quite brutally realistic and, you know, like, you know, the, the abortion season and things like that. And you know, I think R- Romanians are not at the stage where, you know, it's, it's too soon for that stuff here. So it's, <laughs> right. it's kind of a bit, a bit repackaged for, for Western consumption. Um, and they, they are interesting. I mean, I, I've seen a few of them. <laughs> I haven't seen all of them, but um, they're not. Um, yeah. They're definitely a Western product. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's, um, I mean, it just speaking for myself, like, um, something like the death of Mr. Lazarescu, which I, I, I loved, um, and even four months, three weeks and two days, just to, just to point out two of the, probably the most popular examples. Um, I mean, part of the charm or part of the appeal to me is just being like, oh, cool. This ambulance is just going to go through modern Romania. Like sweet. Like I get to see what like modern Romania looks like through, I mean, obviously it's through like the mediated lens of the camera, but it's, um, you know, that that's part of the appeal for me personally, when I watched it, like, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever. Um, but I also, I also think that's interesting what you said about like, it kind of like reverses back on itself, right? Like, uh, maybe people in Romania will watch the movie because people not from Romania have said that it's good, you know? Um, and the only really like American equivalent I can think of is that is like uh, French uh, like film critics who uh, see like these kind of like brilliant uh, or who see these kind of like everyday like American studio products as like works of genius, you know, like Jerry Lewis is obviously a great example <laughs> or um, later Clint Eastwood or whatever. So I don't know. I, I love thinking about that because it always gives me an opportunity to kind of be the uh, – 
the other, you know, in, in film culture, as opposed to being the dominant, uh, you know, the dominant culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, in, in any sort of artistic endeavor, there's quite a lot of, uh, you know, signaling and kind of, you kind of have to be with the times and uh, some, some movies, you know, they're, they're not necessarily objectively bad or anything. They're just, you know, they're, they're out of fashion. Um, and maybe other cultures can pick up on that just because their fashion sure. is a bit, is a bit uh, shifted. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got a lot of love for American film, but it's surprisingly, you know, stuff that, you know, is, is not that um, critically acclaimed in America. So like we love Jackie Chan movies are very big in mm. Romania. Right. We love, uh, you know, like stuff like Don the Dragon Wilson movies. They are huge <laughs> in Eastern Europe in general. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is arguably also kind of an American actor because he's played in all these American movies. Like, oh, yeah. All the 90s action flicks are very big here. And if if we could get Chuck Norris here, they would probably, you know, sanctify him. He would, he would be a, <laughs> a living saint. <laughs> Because he is so beloved <laughs> in Romania, so uh, all all sorts of kind of people that you know, Steven Seagal also very very big here. Um, all all your '90s action guys, those are those are kind of like the the American film heroes here for for some reason. Because I think that's when we got cable um, here, and right. then it it all kind of coincided. And they were these were like shockingly amazing movies for people who had one not really seen movies, and if if they had seen movies, they were like communist you know agitprop <laughs> and uh you know seeing a steven seagal movie was, was quite the quite the shocking piece of piece of art after you know nothing right right yeah i, I can't imagine <laughs> i can't imagine like watching uh john what's the movie where he's in a coma uh do you remember um, the movie where he's in like a coma and then he like comes out of it no, I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember the night, but I, I just can't imagine seeing like, you know, like nothing but like Soviet, uh, you know, kind of uh, social realist like work, and then all of a sudden just having, you know, Steven Seagal just kind of blast open the doors of your mind. You know, it must, <laughs> it must be like listening to the Beatles for the first time or something. Um, Exactly, especially if you have nothing to to compare it to, you know, it's it's quite right, shocking because right. you know Steven Seagal had all sorts of precursors, you know, in American cinema, people that I don't know, even like spaghetti westerns and stuff that we we didn't get to see, um, and then you just uh, yeah, you just you know, blow out the cobwebs with like intense action scenes uh, and <laughs> aikido stylings. Yeah, that rules. Um, all right, so I, I want to get into. Um, I want to get into David Cronenberg, um, who is kind of a, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what to make of David Cronenberg. I don't think he has reached the kind of level of like critical appreciation that someone like David Lynch has. Uh, but he's obviously very well regarded and he's gone through a couple of, uh, mutations, uh, no, no pun intended there. Um, for uh, through his career, uh, from being kind of like a seventies and eighties, like, horror schlock master to being um uh i don't know kind of more respected on like the art cinema circuit so um yeah i don't know alex what is your experience with uh with the films of david cronenberg 
Um, I, I kind of picked David Cronenberg because I just had kind of a bit of a marathon with my, my husband because we were like, I think we saw The Fly and we were like, man, this is so good. We should just watch all of them. Um, and we did. But also, <laughs> it was just a little anecdote before I started talking about David Cronenberg. Um, when, you, when you guys wrote me a message uh, to, to ask me to come on the podcast, I was, I was just sitting on the couch with my husband and I was like, oh, you know, there's some, some, a cool movie podcast wants me to come on and talk about movies. And <laughs> he was like, uh, he started laughing and he was like, will you tell them that we've just been watching like nonstop Adam Sandler movies <laughs> during the, the COVID <laughs> times? And, you know, he was like, oh, you know, if you have to nominate someone, it has to be Adam Sandler. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I thought, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'd skip the Adam Sandler just because, you know, it's, 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 it's quite a, you know, it's it's a com- it's like the comfort food of of COVID watches. So, um, you know, I said we that could, we could have done Adam Sandler. That would have, that would have been yeah, fun. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> in the last in the last couple of weeks, I've watched Little Nicky and The Wedding Singer. So. <laughs> I would See? have been down with it. Oh, that, that's good. I, I just thought, you know, I just don't want to be coming off as like an Eastern European total Philistine here with my <laughs> terrible taste in movies. No, <laughs> I'm not at all. Dishonor my my clan and my family. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I'm I'm just happy you referred to us as a cool movie podcast. That's uh, you know, I'm I'm glad that's our that that's that someone sees our account and is like, wow, this is a cool movie podcast. You know, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, my my pleasure. I mean, I've uh, I've never been asked to talk about movies, so I was like, oh, this is this is crunch time, Alex. <laughs> you need to <laughs> <set> it up. <laughs> so yeah, but also yeah, I, I have to say I, I didn't just make this Cronenberg thing up. We, I really like it. I really like his movies, and um, yeah, I mean, what's what's my experience with them? Um, I think. Probably the first Cronenberg movie I saw was Naked Lunch, like a long time ago, um, because I had just read the book and it was quite, (laughs) quite startling. And (laughs) I remember just just piecing through the book because the book is just this this jumble of weird vignettes about, you know, being drug addicted and it's half half a a mirage and like, you know, collected memories and it's half kind of has a bit of a storyline. So it's, it's quite a, it's quite a weird book. And then when I heard that there's a movie, I just wanted to see how, how is there a movie? (laughs) This is, this is a very nutty book. Um, And then, you know, I watched the movie and I realized how it's, it's, it's a very nutty movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a it's also extremely extremely cool. It's in that sense that you know you're you're kind of um, horrified. You're a bit scared. You don't know what's going to happen. You're also completely grossed out by all the prosthetics. You're always like, you know, what the hell is he going to, you know, what new jelly monster is he going to produce in the next scene? <laughs> you know, it's it's a really exciting movie. And uh, even now when I've rewatched it, uh, you know, it was the kind of movie that I didn't pick up my phone to check Twitter once, which was, you know, it's, it has to be a sign of quality. <laughs> and the oh, sign hell of- yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of my my experience with that. And then, yeah, I just kind of, you know, interestingly, I also really love his newer movies who don't really have that body horror uh, element to them. But um, they still, I think they, they still have a little bit of body horror because there's always some gory scene in them. There's always some right. terribly gory thing happening. And it's it's that's quite riveting as well. Uh, but there's, you know, the prosthetics are missing. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, the thing is with Cronenberg, I don't think I've ever seen a Cronenberg movie that I didn't like, So, right. which, which is not the case with many other directors. 
Yeah, John. What about you? What about are you are you a Cronenberg uh, loyalist, or is he just kind of uh, incidental to your to your movie watching? I wouldn't. I think I'm somewhere in the middle because I respect Cronenberg. I'm a huge fan of Scanners and Videodrome. Like those came out in the early '80s, and that's really like where my Cronenberg like love lies. Like even The Brood, which is not near anywhere near as good as Scanners or Videodrome. But like in the 80s is where I really enjoyed his films and even The Fly. Like obviously the first time I watched The Fly as a kid, I was like, this is great. Um, But honestly, as I get older, I do lean towards his later work because as Alex said, it's a little less gross because (laughs) I can't when I go back and watch some of his old movies, I'm like, Jesus, this is so gross. Like, I don't I don't want to see this slimy thing and this weird (laughs) like I. I just I don't know if I've just became more sensitive to it because I don't mind. I love violence in movies, but that his particular kind of effects, it's not violence, really. It's gross. Like, it's just it's just weird, you know, but that's what he was known for. And the like, you know, that's that's what he does. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm a loyalist, but I, I am a fan, I would say. Um, I had a quick question for Alex, though. You said you read the book Naked Lunch. Um, I've heard that like both of them, like if you don't like one, you're not going to like the other. Like, would you, now that you've seen the movie and you've read the book, would you agree with that? Or is it possible to like love the book and hate the movie or vice versa? Mm, Yeah. I don't know. I I think it's, it's definitely a very particular style. Uh, It's kind of that um, kind of rambling beat, you know, little fractured story um, that's very focused on on the the quality of the language itself. So the the descriptions are kind of super vivid and like weird similes and all this stuff. So if you don't really enjoy that, you know, beat post beat, um, you know, kind of randomness, you know, this this jazzy jazzy vibe to to both literature and, and film, then you're probably not going to like this movie because it's completely nonlinear. I mean, the film itself has a bit more of a story, but still essentially just random. It doesn't really make any sense. Um, but it's um, yeah, I, I would say you probably, yeah, I think this is probably a good description. I don't know. I, there might be some some weird, you know, freaks out there trying to try either liking the movie or the book, but I, I would say there's probably a pattern. Well, I, I haven't read the book, but just just the movie itself. Obviously, we'll we'll get to it a little more when we dive into it. But yeah, I would I would describe that as like the only thing really holding the movie together is probably the music. Aside from that, it's like it really is just this interesting compilation of like one thing to the next. So hearing the book is like written in like these weird vignette type of thing. It actually makes a little more sense because I've I've never even picked up the book. I just knew it was based on a book. Um, But anyway, we can get into that more when we get to it. Jacob, what about you? Like, how do you feel about Cronenberg? Would you say you're a fan or is just somebody you just watch? You know, I I don't know. I I think he's I I think he's. you know, great kind of for what, whatever people think about David Cronenberg, the kind of mainstream, you know, cinema opinion is kind of like what I feel about his like, you know, main work throughout the eighties and stuff. But like the 21st century Cronenberg from a history of violence through um, maps to the stars, I'm just like, is he, maybe he's a genius, uh, you know, through, throughout all this. Like I, you know, I appreciate his earlier work and, but I don't know, man, since the history of violence, I feel like he's really, 
I don't know. He's really climbed the ranks and really kind of, um, uh, I don't know, made uh, made himself more of like a versatile, um, you know, talent that that is really capable of of going some really interesting places, um, as opposed to like the you know the body horror of of the eighties. Um, but let's let's jump into it then. Um, we're going to talk about three movies today. Uh, we got uh, first up 1986, uh, The Fly. Then we're going to talk about Naked Lunch and Eastern Promises. Um, so yeah, The Fly. Um, Alex, what what about The Fly? You said uh, you and your husband watched it and you loved it. Um, what what did you love about The Fly? It, it obviously a very popular movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I actually hadn't seen The Fly until this this marathon, and uh, it's, it's one of the the more prominent, you know, body horror ones. Um, and it, it was just um, it kind of combined a few themes that are that I really like, which is kind of this this monstrosity of nature, the mm-hmm. um, the you know the the uh, hubris of of technology. The, the idea that, you know, science will come and, and, and shall, shall save us all. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a bit of a, a, a Luddite in that respect. I mean, I'm a bit of a, a science skeptic, especially after this year. Um, and <laughs> and um, I, I really, you know, I kind of like the prosthetics as well. <laughs> They're just so shocking. Um, and just, just the, the, the story itself, it's like really the pace is quite intense for a movie of that period. Like, because uh, right. I, I tend to complain a lot if I watch, you know, any movie before, you know, 1995, because it's like usually, you know, painfully slow with my, you know, millennial attention span. But this one was quite riveting. Like, it, you know, everything kind of happened in quick succession. Um, and it really kind of kept you at the edge of your seat. Um, and especially because I didn't, I, I knew kind of like vaguely about the theme, but I didn't really know what was going to happen. So I was, you know, very fresh to it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just kind of, I like the idea of um, of someone, you know, confronting this, um, you know, disease and decay and death and you know these these absolutely you know infinite human themes that I feel like a lot of art you know tries to push to the side or tries mm-hmm. to kind of um, you know uh, airbrush and you know we only talk about about the the things that you know the social things in life but these are kind of like super basic themes that are quite horrendous they're they're super scary because in a way uh people don't really talk about them that often so um and the the way Cronenberg does it is is you know super visceral because that's that's his shtick you know he wants to make it about the body he doesn't even necessarily want to be talking about what's happening he just wants to show you these monstrosities and to have you be gripped by you know like by existential terror and I think he does it pretty well yeah it's um God damn, this movie is disgusting. Like, <laughs> like it is so. Uh, it is John. You you mentioned it earlier. It's just so fucking disgusting and filthy. And I love how like, um, like you said, it's kind of about aging, uh, an illness, and about basically just the decay of the body. And um, you know, usually a process that, um, especially at the time that the body is decaying, we don't really have any control over you know, uh, similar to, to how he, um, experiences the movie. And I don't know to anybody out there who hasn't seen it. Um, uh, Jeff Goldblum turns into a fly. That's, that's really all you need to know, uh, about the movie. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I was when I rewatched it, I was blown away by just how good it was. Like you said, 90. I mean, crisp 90 minutes. Everything just happened so quickly. And I don't know. I was struck by how much of kind of a, a Hollywood blockbuster this was. I mean, obviously doesn't even resemble the kind of blockbusters we have nowadays. But this is such a it's such a like Hollywood movie. There's uh, like the the special effects are are great and the the horror is just so visceral and it's kind of darkly funny and there's also this like tragic romance i mean when you know towards the end when the fly is like moving that shotgun with his little like pinchers or whatever like it's somehow both like really like darkly funny and also like pretty fucking sad you know because it's like oh my god this is this is awful i don't know john what do you think about the fly well i mean I will say, uh, not to continue the, to be repetitive with the point, but yeah, this movie, I, I was blown away by how fast it was. Like yeah. you, you meet at a party, the main characters meet, and then it, it just, it just goes like he didn't waste any time. It was a very, like the very movie, lean. the movie begins like in the middle of the meet cute. Like, yeah. Like we, and, and I liked it because it didn't do anything to the story. We didn't mm. need more information from these characters because everything worked. I bought into how quickly they fell for each other. I bought into how quickly things happened. Like it just really worked. And I think uh, oddly enough, going all the way back to a 1986 sci-fi movie about a guy turning into a fly. There's a lot to be learned from just the <laughs> script in general. Right. Um, but I will say this is the first time I've seen this movie probably in 10 years. Uh, I, I, I love Jeff Goldblum. I know he's kind of taken on this bigger than like, you know, human thing lately. Him and Bill Murray have become like bumper stickers and coffee mugs, but this was before all that. This was just Jeff Goldblum having this insane energy that I don't think anyone else possessed for a long time. So he was perfect for the role. Um, So I decided for some reason, I don't know why I was going to eat when I watched this movie. <laughs> so I sat down with my lunch and I turned the movie on and I made the decision not to do that. When the baboon experiment went awry. Um, <laughs> awry so, is a kind word for how that experiment it is. went. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm like, geez, this, this movie's so fucking gross. Like, I don't remember it bothering me this much. I don't understand what is wrong with me but then his ear falls off mid-conversation and then i'm just like okay fuck it like okay whatever i'm just i'm in it i'm in it for whatever um i i really enjoyed it like once you get past the gross aspect this movie is so much better than i remember it being like honestly i would put this in one of my top like in a top 80s category for how good it was i really i genuinely forgot how good um everything about it was yeah, it's 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 kind of shockingly good. I feel like this this movie is like a like a Criterion Collection Blu-ray release away from just like uh, becoming like one of the most popular, most acclaimed '80s movies, um, at least um, '80s American movies. Um, yeah, I like what you said about Jeff Goldblum. He's like, uh, I mean, it's, there's no other word for it. He's a, he's a star in this movie. You know, like no one acts like that in a good way. Like he's just he's just a star in this movie and has this uh, weird weird energy that I mean probably you know gave him the career that he has. Um, I don't know, Alex. You big Jeff Goldblum fan? Yeah, I I, I love Jeff, and um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I always I always associate him with Jurassic Park for some reason because that's kind of yeah. oh yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I remember there was, there was this web comic at one point, and and they were making fun of Jeff Goldblum. It was I think it was the Meth Minute or something like that, uh, but that was like ten years ago or something. And there's a sketch <laughs> that I keep I keep remembering. With, they were just making fun of Jeff Goldblum because he was already larger than life ten years ago, and in weird corners of the internet. Um, but yeah, he's. He's a he's a Bill Murray stature guy. I think he's he deserves his cult status for sure. Um, it's yeah. funny. It's funny. Real, real quick, I wanted to say it's funny you mentioned Jurassic Park because obviously I think we were all thinking it because it's impossible to think one without the other. But anytime I think Jeff Goldblum, it doesn't matter what movie it's in. It doesn't matter what the conversation is. The first scene in my head when I think of him is when it cut it cuts to Jurassic Park when he's like laying down because he's injured but he somehow still manages to get in this model pose <laughs> and he's like on his side shirt unbuttoned and the yep. music kicks in and the camera races in and it's like you know what you knew what you were doing with his shot like what what's going on like come on <laughs> yeah i know exactly that shot you're talking about it's just like he's yeah he's like this weird sex symbol um yeah. and and honestly it it's a, it's really bizarre because like he just like he just has this like strange energy that, and he even admits this. I've listened to him on podcasts and stuff. He even admits that his energy, uh, although somewhat misguided at times and, 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 and accidental is so weird and sexual. And yeah. it's just like, okay, Jeff, uh, we're going to need you to like, I wonder how many times a director has had to tell Jeff Goldblum, I need you to tone it down just a <laughs> little bit. <laughs> we toned yeah. down the Goldblum nature of this. Yeah, I mean, as a as a member of the the opposite sex and you know Jeff Jeff Broom, Goldblum appreciator fan club, uh, I have to say that he's not a good looking guy. I mean, conventionally attractive, but he's got that manic energy, that that weird serial killer vibe that women just just go for for some reason. <laughs> so you know, I think that's probably part of his appeal. He's he looks crazed. You know, there must be just something's up with this guy. You know, he's doing something. You know, he's definitely not a boring you know date. Yeah, so for all you single guys out there, act like a serial killer. That's what women want. Um, yeah, <laughs> surprisingly, if you've watched this this new Night Stalker documentary, you'll see, you know, quite, um, quite, quite functional. This whole thing. Now I have to go ask my wife if the whole reason she talked to me to begin with is because I was acting like a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, everyone listening podcast, go ask ask your wives and girlfriends. <laughs> you might be surprised. Oh God, that's a horrifying thought. Yeah, you were just so strange, and I thought you might kill me, so that's why we went out. I just assumed there was a body in your trunk. I mean. <laughs> oh man, um, I want to mention this because the, the the fly is one of those movies that has like a, you know, the the people who are big fly fans are normally like you know big horror fans and eighties fans, you know, a kind of fandom that me and Jonathan have alternately. Um, mocked and uh derided at certain at certain points throughout the podcast. I'll say I'll say you mock them more than I have. I appreciate uh hardcore horror fans. Uh I'm just throwing that out there. Um I don't uh unless <laughs> <laughs> unless you subscribe to our Patreon and then uh, obviously I do. Um but yeah other than that uh no I, I don't respect you at all. Um <laughs> Um, but, uh, but like there's, so there's a lot of like, um, kind of, uh, mythology around, you know, the movie itself, um, you know, regarding like the makeup and the, 
effects and stuff. But I read about this one thing, this monkey cat sequence. Do you guys know anything about this? Um, I've I read into it after I watched a movie, and apparently it was it was so horrifying that they had to scrap it. That um, I don't know some some preview some previewers just said you know this 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 can't be it's too much. Yeah, like he he like tries to um, do something with the machine to you know find a cure or whatever, and somehow ends up like creating this half monkey, half cat creature that is just so horrifying that like uh, they said all the audience just lost sympathy for Jeff Goldblum's character after he did that. Like, how the fuck could you do that? Like, looking for a cure, like, like mutilate this uh, this monkey and cat together in some kind of like cosmic horror way. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I would I would die to see that scene. Um, and uh, but yeah, I don't know, John. You know anything about this uh, this cat monkey thing? Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard about it on the internet and stuff like I, I wasn't sure like did it ever because it didn't make it on the special features or anything like so the scene was actually filmed and put in like so it did exist enough to be shown to a crowd of stuff so it's it's weird that it didn't make it onto any special features i don't know right that it's not like out there at least from what i could find it's not out there um, yeah uh, i'm googling right now cat monkey the fly um but i mean to be fair i don't know what audiences think now but i had zero sympathy um for go bloom uh, throughout the entire film so <laughs> wait really yeah dude i well you know i have a whole thing about testing on animals in general but i mean it it was just so flippant first of all he was so flippant about what he did and second of all I'm sorry, you have to be a fucking psycho to think I'm going to open this thing. Okay, so the, the everything went okay with the baboon, and I'm just going to let him run to me and jump on me like he's a kid or something. It's like that thing would, like, I would be so afraid to rip my face off. Like, um, <laughs> That's but yeah, a good no. point. I mean, the bab- baboons do, like, rip people's faces off, don't they? Oh, they're insanely violent. But as, outside of that, no, they, they were they were both so flippant about turning the, the, uh, the monkey inside out essentially uh yeah no i i when he started turning into a fly i was like fuck it you know and not to mention don't 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 do science while drunk i think that's the lesson we can all take away from this movie so i I don't think i had any sympathy for him just from like a like (laughs) like a base perspective i was like something that gross does not deserve my sympathy you know, like, oh, yeah, absolutely. A being that disgusting. But I wonder, what did you guys think about the love story? Because I think this is quite a good, like, tragic romance, like a Hollywood tragic romance. Like it, it I think that aspect of the story really works, surprisingly, in a movie about a guy who turns into a fucking fly. Yeah, I it's, it's interesting because it kind of makes you confront your your own prejudices about you know about people who are decaying or diseased or something because he's like the ultimate diseased person so i could feel my sympathy for him waning the more he kind of (laughs) became monstrous and i was like man is this me just being you know a dick because it's the same weird science man but you know he's you know turning into a monster um you know doesn't (laughs) doesn't he deserve love and and then obviously i also didn't like the fact that he was really entitled (laughs) dude you're you're turning into like this this weird alien creature i mean you know you can you 
have a bit of sympathy for the lady. I mean, you know, she needs to adapt at least. So that's that's the part where I was like, no, you know, you can you can go away. I don't like you anymore, fly man. Yeah, when he's like talking about like wanting to like preserve his seed, and it's like, dude, you like I don't know, man. You really think anybody wants to fuck you at this point? Like you're literally a monster. Also, how? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> how do you think um, that would work? Whenever she she sees him originally after not seeing him for a while and they sit down and and she hugs him. Um, I had a really like like bad Larry David moment from like Curb Your Enthusiasm. And it was just like an exclamatory. Like I put my hands in the air and I was like, no, I was like, fuck, no, he's looked slimy. Pieces of him are falling off. Like I don't know what you're doing, but I'm sorry. Love has a limit and you have hit the limit. <laughs> um, yeah, she she played ball for for a good amount of time. I think you know. I was I was I thought she was being nice. Oh yeah, she was a much better person than I think a lot of people, including myself, would have ever been. Like I would I would have walked in the house and saw him and be like, "Nah, I'm, I'm good." Like, <laughs> um, now I do have a quick question for both of you before we move on. My only issue with this movie, and, and this is actually a serious one, is they expected me towards the end of it to feel sympathy for her psychotic ex-boyfriend like like i understand that he ended up being like somewhat the hero like he showed up and helped her even though he got like his foot and leg you know uh, melted off um <laughs> but like the movie literally like tried to pitch it to where like see this guy can be noble and i know this was the 80s so it was a whole different ball game for how they for how they handled uh certain characters in movies but that annoyed me because it was like, no, fuck you. I wish you would have vomited on your face and melted it off. Like, I have no sympathy for you, and I don't think you're a hero in any shape. Like, but I don't know if that's just me or what. You know, I didn't I, I didn't really feel any sympathy for him, and I didn't I don't know. I didn't feel like the movie was trying to make you feel sympathetic for him. I mean, I don't know, maybe kind of superficially, but like in the moment, he like it's like uh I don't know, whoever Kate Winslet ended up marrying in Titanic. It's just like, it's like that, like, yeah, I mean, you're alive, but you'll never, you know, you'll never be fucking Jeff Goldblum, you know, like she's, <laughs> she's going to marry you and have kids with you or something, but like, come on, you'll never, she'll always think about, man, that guy who turned into a fly really, you know, he really did one in for me, you know? Yeah. But he was like, early on, he was so like, like predatory and right. like, like, I don't know, man. He was just putting off all kind of vibes. It was like, at some point, I'm probably going to hit you. And at some point, like, I'm probably just going to be a bigger piece of shit than I am now. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I yeah, I don't know if the movie, like, to my mind, I read it from, like, a script standpoint. But perhaps it wasn't, like, since it's not a traditional, and it was the 80s, different rules. It's not a traditional story. Maybe the movie wasn't pushing for it as much as I thought. Um, Alex, can you weigh in here as a member of the opposite sex? Was the uh, was the boyfriend the non Jeff Goldblum boyfriend? Was he sufficiently serial killer enough, or did he take it too far? I think. Hmm. Yeah, my my serial killer meter was was off. He didn't have the the you know the necessary vibe. He was you know, too obvious to be you know a, a decent serial killer in the you know the the way women love. So <laughs> I I don't know. I to be honest, just remembering it. I mean, I watched it maybe a. a month or two ago and um can't can't even place a face to that guy so i feel to, to me if he feels like really kind of incidental i feel like he's kind of like a a deus ex machina type thing there to to kind of save the day or something um right, i don't know right. 
You know, that's a really good point, actually, because I just watched this movie like three days ago. But in a month or two, if we had this conversation, I probably wouldn't have this thought. So that's actually a fair point, because he was he really was like inconsequential to everything like that. We needed him there for the gun, really. Like that was the only right. reason he was in the apartment. So that's yeah, a very I feel point. like if you make her kill him, you know, I mean, spoilers for a 50 year old movie or whatever. But like. <laughs> Uh, like if you make her kill him, that's like too much. You know what I mean? Like that's, she's been through enough. Don't make her fucking, you know, off this fly monster at the end of the movie, you know? Yeah, no, I can see that. All right. So that's enough time. Uh, that's, I think that's 40 minutes. That's sufficient enough time to talk about the fly folks. Go yeah. see the fly. If you have about this gross ass movie. Yeah. Uh. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so eat. funny. Like, it's so funny. Like, I feel like I'm jaded. Like I've seen everything in movies and still like Cronenberg just has a way of getting under your skin where you're watching that shit and you're like, Oh my God, can you fucking not, you know? <laughs> um, all right. So 1991 naked lunch. Uh, I, I think this represents kind of a different, um, th- th- my, my thesis on this movie is that a naked lunch Cronenberg has run out of ideas at this point. And I don't even think that's necessarily a bad thing, even though it sounds like it is. But it's, you know, it's, it's at a certain point you run out of ideas, especially if you're, you know, uh, in a working in a field as limited as like body horror or whatever. And so at that point, I feel like he's just trying to, um, I don't know, keep himself interested in making movies. And so he decided to adapt um, a movie that is completely and wholly unadaptable. Uh, naked lunch. So Alex, you talked a little bit about it before. What do you, uh, what are your thoughts on naked lunch? Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I, I really like the book. I mean, I don't even know if like is the word. <laughs> I was struck. I was struck by the book and I was curious about it. It was, it's the kind of book that, you know, it kind of draws you in. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, body horror in itself. Because um, you know the most of what William Burroughs wrote about was kind of his life as a as a junkie, someone who's you know addicted to you know a, a panoply of, of weird of weird super high high intense drugs, um, and all these kind of like fever dreams that he was having during during these these drug addiction episodes, and kind of how he um, yeah kind of how he fell off the wagon and got back on it and. Um, yeah, it was, it was really fascinating. And I think the movie really translates the, the spirit of the book well, because it's, yeah, it's, it's not the kind of movie that you're like, oh, my God, I just I just love this movie. It's, um, it's, it's a shocking movie. It's made for, you know, for shock value. Um, but it's also it's also interesting, I think, the way he put it together, because the, the way he uh, created the movie Cronenberg was by piecing together elements from uh, William Burroughs' life with right. elements from the book. So it's not just naked lunch. It's also um, yeah, it's also, I think, part of his movie of his book Junkie. And it's also, yeah, events like um, he, he shot his wife. That's part of the movie. Like there's, there's also it's kind of like an ode to William Burroughs, I think this movie because I I know Cronenberg really likes his work, um, right. so he he kind of tried to make um, you know, yeah some just create something that's you know representative of his work and his life. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely, um, I think that's definitely true. I, uh, you know, I I, I just. Um, 
I don't know. You know, writing is my um, ostensible chosen, uh, uh, you know, uh, artistic outlet of choice. And I just, I'm allergic to all this, uh, all this shit, the beat generation and the, the kind of postmodern, uh, but like pre, um, uh, pre like Don DeLillo, like, uh, uh, you know, novels and stuff. I just, I just can't get into it. And it just kind of annoys me to be honest. Um, and so I feel like that is like a huge, um, like obstacle for me for enjoying the movie because it almost is kind of like William S. Burroughs, like fan fiction, uh, or not necessarily fan fiction, but almost like a like a hagiography or something of you know all the biographical elements and all the um, you know the kind of deadpan, deep voice, you know, and 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 different elements of different autobiographical details and different novels kind of flitting in and out. Um, I don't know, man. This is just. I feel like this is a movie, you know, Jesus lives in your heart or he doesn't like the, the, you either like this movie or you don't. And I mean, it's got a huge, you know, kind of cult following um, over here. And you'll, you'll find a lot of people who are like, this movie's, you know, masterpiece is David Cronenberg's best movie. But I don't know, man, I think with this one, it just, it just doesn't, uh, it just doesn't hit for me for some reason. What do you think about this movie, John? You know, honestly, I have mixed feelings on it. This was my first time watching it, and I had heard stories about it. Uh, you know, from it's just it's a very unique movie. It's uh, you know, oddly enough, my first exposure to the movie was when I saw The Simpsons as a kid, and they went and saw this in theaters. And uh, <laughs> Nelson makes a joke when they walk out about that was a very misleading title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was like, ever since then, I'm like, okay, Naked Lunch, that's a weird sounding movie. Like, and then you hear stories about it. But I had, I was not prepared, if I'm being honest, for how weird this movie was going to get. Every time I thought it was as weird, every time I thought we met peak weirdness, it got weirder. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Peter Weller was great, and I loved the smooth jazz music. Like, that was my favorite part of the movie. It connected it. But I think. It's kind of weird because I think the main reason it made me connect it to the movie and made me like it was my favorite part is because it almost made me feel like I was watching a different movie because Mm. I'm not going to say I liked it or disliked it because I don't really know if this is a movie that you can judge on that level simply because of how bizarre it was and what it's based on. Like it had like more fantastical elements than like another movie from like a crazy writer with like fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Right. Like with this, with this fantastical zany elements with everything going on. Um, I know that people that love it, love it. People are very passionate about it. I know Peter Weller is very passionate about it. Talking about what all the book and the movie like predicted that was happening in the world with drugs and, and and the AIDS epidemic and all this. So it's very deep. And I just feel like a lot of it maybe kind of not really went over my head, but like I j- it wasn't clear enough for me. Perhaps it's easier if you read the book first. I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it's probably not one I'll rewatch, but I can't say I disliked it simply because I was so intrigued by it. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is one of those movies that you kind of have to not even necessarily have read the book, although I'm sure it helps, but you kind of have to know or like kind of William S. Burroughs. You have to be, you have to be Burrow pilled 
in order to really vibe with this movie, I feel like. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of have to enjoy that that style of uh, of writing, you know, kind of even like Bukowski or things like that that are just, you know, they're the language itself is created to to create these like weird jarring similes and to kind of take you out of yourself. And um, I think you know, if if this book were to have you know turned into any movie, I think probably Cronenberg was the person to do it because mm-hmm. the book is really it's gross like it's one of, I think where I found this book first was like you know the, the most revolt list of 10 most revolting books you could ever read or something <laughs> like that uh, and I think that's where I found Bukowski as well and it was like okay you know you, if you want to read something radical you should read these books and okay I was like I think I was kind of a teenager when, when I <laughs> figured that out so um, I had I had to read these books obviously and um yeah, I mean it's 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 the the it's it's quite a good translation of the book, and I think that's it was almost an impossible task. And if if that's the only thing that you know this this movie survives as as being is that it transformed something completely totally weird into something kind of relatively digestible in movie form, which is quite an accomplishment in itself. Yeah, I um I don't know you know you, you know how there's this like um kind of like third wave like feminist thing about like infinite jest of like like oh my boyfriend forced me to read infinite jest or you know mm-hmm. like it's become kind of like a meme about it or whatever like that's how i unironically feel about kind of like bukowski and burroughs and that whole like generation i'm just like you know like i don't know like if another person tells me that like William S. Burroughs will blow your mind. I'm kind of like, okay, he's not going to blow my mind. I promise you, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. Another aspect of this movie that I found really kind of interesting and weird is, you know, in the nineties, there was this like weird uh, portion of the nineties where people were like obsessed with like swing music and like kind of like film noir aesthetics. Um, and you know really like 1940s like uh you know trappings of like culture and stuff and this broke through in the mainstream obviously uh with stuff like uh, the dick tracy movie that uh uh shit what is that guy's name uh warren Beatty. yeah warren Beatty. the warren Beatty made and, and stuff like that 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 really was I don't know that that was something kind of a weird cultural artifact of the nineties. And I feel like that is in this movie in spades. Like it is really, really kind of cartoonishly noir. And uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Did anybody else get that vibe? Yeah. And strangely, like the, the, the William Burroughs character, I don't remember exactly what his name was in the movie. Um, he's kind of like this out of time person. Like he looks mm-hmm. to be 50 years older than anyone else. Um, the other like, cause, cause I think, you know, Jack Kerouac theoretically is in the movie as well. He's kind of like one of the, one of the sidekicks. And I think the other guy is probably Ginsburg or something. Um, and you know, it's a it's it's a very strange thing because he's he's kind of like the most sober, but also the most drugged up of all of them, which is I don't know. It's it's, it's a weird jarring thing because maybe that that helps with the fact that you never know if he's like in in a fever dream or if if it's kind of real or what whatever is going on. But he's always playing this weird deadpan straight face uh, character, <laughs> which is I don't know. It's it's a it's, I think that that adds to the creepiness of the movie. 
Yeah, I think it's really funny too. It's almost there's almost like a Buster Keaton element where like his fucking typewriter turns into a bug and he's just like, okay, like he just has this <laughs> like this like straight faced, uh, I don't know, kind of a hilarious thing going on. Um, yeah, and that 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 last scene or like the the last few minutes of the movie, I don't know if it's the last ten minutes. There's there's all this milking going on. That was the <laughs> point where I thought, man, this this is getting to like peak weirdness. That's <laughs> yeah. I still I still have absolutely no idea what was going on in that scene and and what what they were milking and and how, but it was fascinating. Yeah, it's um it's a weird one it's a, you know it's 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 a and again this is like you know i feel like i've seen everything and you know it's just it really takes a special talent to like for you to watch something and go well that was uniquely weird i can honestly say i've never really seen anything like it you know yeah um okay so let's move on to uh 2007 uh with david cronenberg's eastern promises now i feel like this is I feel like this is a whole new um, era for Cronenberg, right? This is, I think he got his mojo back with um, Viggo Mortensen in a history of violence. And he began to kind of do these like more traditional uh, like pulp movies, uh, especially, um, especially Eastern promises. And, um, and uh, what's the one I just said, uh, history of violence. Um, especially those two, you know, kind of taking these fairly conventional um, noir, you know, pulp crime plot lines and really, uh, like you said, Alex, like throwing in some like really, you know, gross, disgusting uh, kind of body uh, like uh, violent episodes. And, and like, I think it almost kind of turns them into like, you know, this is such an overused phrase, but like, they're kind of like meditations or examinations of, you know, what really uh, would happen in these stories. You know, like if you wanted to turn Viggo Mortensen in this movie into like, you know, kind of a, an anti-hero or whatever, you wouldn't have him like cutting off those fingers and, and, and doing some of the stuff that he does. But like he foregrounds a lot of the violence to kind of, um, I don't know, to kind of showcase uh, that like these stories and these movies like this are, are really truly violent and the body is often broken and pierced and, uh, you know, uh, bleeding and, and, and that kind of thing in these movies. And sometimes that's just glossed over. Um, most of the time I feel like it's glossed over, but here it's really foregrounded. Um, I don't know, Alex, what do you think about Eastern Promises? Yeah, it's it's very much it's a similar movie to A History of Violence, but I love it especially because it has kind of the the Russian mafia aesthetic in it, and I feel right. like there's you know there's very few movies that I know. I mean, you guys have probably watched many more movies than than me, but uh, where you know people really take the time to understand these subcultures. Like I feel like this one did it pretty well. Not that I'm like some, some Russian mafia acolyte, but there's just, there's very, <laughs> there's specifics uh, about, you know, the mafia in Eastern Europe, um, you know, kind of traditional things that, you know, they're, they're, they're quite interesting to, to observe. And, you know, we're, we're kind of closer to it here. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tired of watching movies where people are like called Igor and they're actually all talking Romanian for some reason. They're, they're, right. they're not speaking Russian or, or there's, I think one movie where there's, 
there's like a Romanian bad guy and that guy was speaking Russian, like the, that carelessness, <laughs> I don't care for. Um, right. So I really, I really like this one um, because they, they really paid attention to that. And, and also like the, the storyline, it was really, really gripping. Um, the cast was amazing. Like Viggo Mortensen is obviously, you know, a star. Um, you know, uh, Naomi Watts was was fine. I I don't necessarily remember her character that much, but I really loved the the Armin Miller style character, who's like the the big mafia boss, like the the forty chess master from behind the scenes, um, right. and also the the Vincent Cassel guy, who's like the the crazy son of the mafia boss, who's just completely drunk and you know de debauchery obsessed, and he's he's just he's got that crazy serial killer energy as well because he's also not the most good looking guy but he's got you know he's got something really interesting about him so yeah his um the the whole cast was was amazing and i, I also kind of like the a bit of the redemption arc of the of the you know Viggo mortensen character who's like this totally brutal you know butcher you know killer guy who's you know completely yeah you know he he's he's been through it all but then he you know he he kind of falls in love he wants to protect this woman he he kind of understands that you know he sacrificed his life to this this mafia cause and um and yeah there's just quite a, a bit of a redemption for him you know saving the baby and everything at the end so um i don't know it's just it's one of those movies that i i always remember and i'd always rewatch with a lot of you know interest and you know i put my phone away watching that movie yeah, I, I love this movie. John, what about you? You, you said you recently rewatched it and you hadn't seen it in a while, right? Yeah, this is uh, probably the first time I've seen it probably in five or six years. And uh, and I remember liking it. This is my third time watching it. I liked the movie um, the first time and the second time. But this time, I don't know, it just kind of hit differently. And I just I was kind of blown away by some of the subtleties and also like some of like every character did a great job. I mean, every, every actor, I mean, everybody did exactly what they needed to do to make you everything feel kind of, um, uh, I can't, the word escapes me, but either way they nailed it. Like in a, like, like Alex was saying in certain movies, sometimes every, these things can feel really cheesy, especially when you have anybody in the Russian mafia with the worst accent imaginable, um, <laughs> or, or any of that. So that kind of shit can really take you out. So Vigo was great. I still stand by the fact that that fight scene that takes place is one of the most intense fight scenes I've ever seen simply because of how brutal it is. Everything about it was like, it was vulnerable because obviously he wasn't wearing any clothes and every, you felt every hit, every slice, every, I mean, and, and even the way he ended the fight, Cronenberg was able to kind of put his spin on it with like the brutality of the, of the, of the blades and everything. Um, like Alex said, Vincent Castle had a great, uh, turn for a character like uh, towards the end, obviously he was saving the baby. And, uh, I don't know, man, I was just kind of really surprised by how much I thoroughly enjoyed this after having not seen it after all these years, because, um, like I said before, I wasn't blown away by it, but I feel like this time I was, and it makes me kind of want to rewatch history of violence because that's a movie I was on the fence about. And I'm thinking maybe if I rewatch it, I would have different feelings now, considering how much I love Eastern Promises. Yeah, you know, it just, um, God, I don't know. There's something so great about this movie. I mean, everything, like you said, every character is just uh, really well like portrayed and 
and and I and I know I know that sounds like broad, like but but like you that means like you kind of get what I'm saying then, like because that's rare. It's rare that every character does exactly what they need to do. Every person nails what they're doing, and that's really what I felt was in this. It, it it reminded me of you know how like in in kind of modern Hollywood movies and modern screenwriting it's like every character has to have like an arc you know what I mean even if we're only dedicating uh twenty seconds of a scene to like Scarlett Johansson's character in the Avengers like she must have an arc in this movie you know like uh, some kind of dramatic uh, arc even if it's not uh well articulated or even completely explained fully, you know, still that's, those are the beats that kind of every, you know, blockbuster must hit. And I feel like this movie has that, but everything is completely fleshed out. Like Naomi Watts, like her character is kind of um, like base level bland until you get that background of, you know, her having the miscarriage and her obviously like, splitting up with her boyfriend or partner or husband um, because of it. And so that gives like this, like ultra like heft to her narrative. And then of course, you know, Vigo and Vincent Castle is like the kind of, um, I don't know, there's like this homoerotic like undercurrent and um, with him and Vigo and him like wanting to watch Vigo, like fuck that girl. And like, uh, I don't know. There's just something so uh, everything is so fleshed out and all the actors are like buying in. Um, I don't know. This is just like high quality, like pulp movie, uh, you know, from like from beginning to end. It's just so and you know, this could have been one of the all time accent disasters in movies with Vigo trying to do this Russian accent. But like. I don't know. I think he pulls it off. Like Alex, do you think he pulls this off as, as being someone who's more familiar with this than we are? Yeah, I think he, he sounds, uh, he sounds incredibly Russian. Um, and I think, um, I think I read somewhere that, you know, they, they really tried hard to kind of integrate and they had like consultants from the actual Russian mafia and, um, his tattoos were on point as well. Apparently they, they're all kind of, you know, adapted to the, to the symbolism that they wanted the character to portray. Um, and there was this, uh, this kind of anecdote that he went to like a restaurant and I don't know, the patrons were scared of him because they understood the meanings of the tattoos. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love the fact that they went, you know, the extra mile to kind of honor, you know, this, obviously this man is, you know, is a, is a butcher style, you know, criminal, but at the same time, he comes from a culture that has a certain specificity. Um, and the fact that they, you know, they, they, they went, they went out and, and got, uh, you know, and did it exactly the way it should be. That That's pretty cool. So, yeah, I think he pulled it off. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. And then that Russian mafia thing is just so cool to me. Like, I don't know why, but it's, um, it's you know, maybe it's the exotic, you know, or something. But it's so, it's so different than, like, the traditional, like, either like, uh, you know, Italian mob movies or like um, just kind of generic, you know, mob, uh, you know, capital M mob that we have in like movies over here sometimes. Like it was really like, you know, there's like the extended camera shots on like the woman singing at the at the birthday party for the hundred year old woman and stuff like it really feels like it is kind of almost respectful for the, the kind of world of the Russian mob. Uh, in a way. 
Exactly. And it's, you know, all mob movies, I feel like have this intrinsic appeal because they, they kind of harken back to, to tribal times. You know, they, mm. they, sh they show kind of groups of men congregating to defeat other tribes of men through violence. And it's, you know, it's super fascinating anyway. And, you know, that, I guess that's why, you know, I have whatever 20% of, of all movies ever made are about the mob in, in some form. And, um, I think that the Russian mob has got kind of this extra layer of, of brutality to it because, um, you know, there's the exoticism, there's this weird, you know, strange language. This is not a Western phenomenon. These are people who are like, right. you know, they're from the belly of the beast. They've seen things, man. So <laughs> it's, it's quite, I don't know. It's, it's, there's this extra fascination of, about this. So, yeah, I think, you know, I'd love to see more Russian mob movies done right. Not not with like random Igors speaking Romanian. <laughs> well, apparently there was a sequel in the works, um, but then it got uh, it got quashed by I don't know some Hollywood executive. Um, but uh, I, this is I mean this is one of the few movies I would love to see a sequel. I mean a sequel where Vigo is kind of uh, you know in charge of the mob and Vincent Castle or maybe Vincent Castle's in charge, but Vigo's really running things like that. That that shit would rule, man. I would watch that in a heartbeat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah no. yeah, no, me too. I was hoping they would make the sequel when they were talking about it um, a few years back. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. And going back to th this movie could have been a, not just an accident disaster, but the entire movie could have been a disaster because for the most part, it's pretty straightforward and it's like a pretty simple idea. But because of, of how it's directed and how the characters are, it actually feels like there's a lot more to it than it is because on its base level, you know, it's not very deep. Um, right. But I mean, yeah, it, it's like you said, I think, I think the scene when she's singing is probably one of my favorites, but just the way Vigo carries himself in general and like and Vincent Castle being like the opposite of that, like the loud drunkard. I don't know. Like it was, it, it felt very, not to use this cliched uh, term, but it felt very Shakespearean with how the father treated the son and yeah. how the son, like Vincent Castle had some resentment for his character. So for, right. for what is it? it's like Henry, the, what is it? Henry the sixth, where the, uh, the, the, the kind of son, the, the father is disappointed in the son. And yeah, it was, uh, it was really now, Alex, I have to, we've, we've been, we've been asking you throughout these movies. So I'm going to ask it again. I mean, Vigo has got to pass the, uh, the serial killer test in this movie, I feel like, right? Yeah, yeah. Vigo's got the the, the kind of the healthy serial killer vibe. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can't can't escape it, you know. In all of his movies, even like what's that one, Captain Fantastic or something, he still has a bit of a, a serial killer vibe. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, there's no way his kids aren't gonna find a body in the woods one day just playing. <laughs> like, uh, I agree with that. Like that. His whole character in that movie, he's not fooling anybody. Like, yeah. Uh, I've never seen this. What movie is it? Oh, it's great, man. He almost won an Oscar for it. Uh, Captain Fantastic. Damn, I don't know anything yeah. about that. It's really good. It's it's about him kind of uh, raising his kids off the grid and how they kind of all turn out a little bit kooky and they rebel. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's really fun. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to watch it. The... Uh... It doesn't seem like he does a whole lot uh, anymore. I mean, his last big movie was Green Book. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like well, he, he does a he lot. Well, 
He just put a movie out that I can't wait to see. I cannot remember what it's called, but it's his directorial debut. And apparently it's got a little bit of like a biography feel to it because it's about his relationship with his father. And I oh, think falling. Yeah. And I think he has a gay brother that his father like hates. And I think the movie d- deals with that. I don't know. It, uh, it looks, it looks good. I think Lance Hendrickson plays his dad. So I'm glad to see him in something, but yeah, I, I've heard really good things about it. So, Oh yeah. It says it's scheduled to come out, uh, in February 5th. Huh? Yeah. Damn. That's interesting. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's fucking great. The movie's fucking great. Um, I don't know. Last question, Alex, maybe this is just a completely insane question to ask somebody, but, uh, what is, have you had any experience with, uh, with anything adjacent to this? Is there anybody like somebody knows a guy who knows a guy who was in the Russian mob or something like, is this something that is, that is prevalent out there? Because I know like in New York, like I can talk to, like somebody who's from here and they'll be like, Oh yeah. Like I, I grew up with a guy whose dad was like arrested for, you know, being in the mafia or whatever. Is, is that something that is present in Eastern Europe a lot? Or is it, uh, is that just kind of like mythological? Um, it, it is present to, to a certain degree. Like, I mean, I know some people who are like in prison that, you know, used to hang out with cause they, you know, stab someone or something like that. But the, the level of like super organized crime that is shown in this movie, you know, maybe may less so. So they're, they weren't like big shots. It's just like, you know, minor, you know, beefs and, you know, squabbles around here. So, um, yeah, there, there's kind of that, but I think you know, in in Eastern Europe, because we've we've had you know the European Union and you know the the um, the borders opened up and they've been open for what now over twenty years, um, a lot of the organized crime has uh, has shifted. <laughs> it's it's not here anymore. Oh and, right, yeah. and it's, it's moved to to greener pastures. So there's quite quite a lot of organized crime from Eastern Europe that's active across the continent, you know, from Russia to you know, but it always tends to move in the direction of money you know so this is kind of the poorer area of europe there's not that much to do here um so you know people are going to go and do you know what's really big now is like credit card fraud you know atm scams things like that so um anything that has a bit of a tech component for some reason you know eastern european uh you know organized crime has a has a hand in so yeah i mean i I kind of know of people who know of people but yeah not not that directly tied into into this yeah, you know, credit card fraud not not as sexy as uh, as you know the classic mob crimes like extortion and drugs and murder and shit. You know, yeah. There's also a lot of a lot of prostitution rings, but that's kind of like the the traditional stuff, you know, of, of trafficking women, and you know, that's that's a bit, I guess, sexier or <laughs> in, a, in a terrible way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think you know, drugs drugs is not a, a good business because we're not a producing country. We're at best, you know, you know, a, a transit port. We don't have very good ports and you know it's, it's just not a traditional business so if it's either either women or something techie we can we can sort that out but you know we'll we'll leave the drugs to like the the north africans and and other people who are who are more um you know have roots in the business right right right, right. all right well um i don't know any last words on cronenberg or any of these three movies we'll have to have you back uh, alex to uh i don't know maybe continue our cronenberg odyssey because these are um, so, I mean, these are obviously some of his more famous movies, but I mean, he's got, uh, you know, I mean, Videodrome, I think is probably my favorite Cronenberg movie. Um, 
I don't know. What else? What are some of the other Cronenberg classics? Obviously, Dead Ringers. Um, have you seen Dead Ringers, Alex? Um, I think we skipped that one. It's still it's still kind of on the on the short list, but no. Is it really good? It's fantastic, but it's I mean, talk about disturbing. It's about twin gynecologists. Um No, I yeah. have. I completely forgot about the name of the movie. Yes. Um what's his his name? Jeremy Irons is, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that one. Yeah, it's it's very disturbing. <laughs> Yeah, that's a wild one. And John, this is one you've talked about for years that I still haven't seen just because it hasn't been really available on any like streaming services or anything. And I don't know, maybe one day I'll uh, I'll uh, buy the Criterion DVD or something. But uh, Crash, 1996's Crash, you always talked about how that's one of the most disturbing movies you've ever seen. God, I uh, I might have to rewatch it one day for a podcast episode, but I vowed to never rewatch it. Uh, <laughs> it's just I, it, it's a dude it's it's a spader movie it's where like spader at his most james spadery and (laughs) it's it's fucking weird man like you know i I feel like any any movie that like you can really just say it's about like fetishizing amputees basically um it's 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 a weird now that's very simple like you know obviously you're interested in the movie I mean, I'm just telling, let you know what you're in for. It's uh, it's really, <laughs> really bizarre. Oh boy! All right, put well, it this uh, way: if you're looking to watch a movie called Crash with your parents and you put this on, you've put the wrong Crash on. <laughs> um, you think I should put the the racial Crash on instead? Uh, well, yeah, that's that's like the Oscar winner people pleaser. You don't want to show mom and dad the uh, the the car crash fetish movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> God damn, man. Cronenberg is a wild one. Um, Alex, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on our little mini Cronenberg Odyssey here. Um, you got anything to plug uh, before we let you go? Um, nothing. Just my my Substack, um, Alex Kashuta uh, at Substack.com and uh, my subversive podcast, which you can find on all platforms. That's about it. Hell yeah. Truly subversive as opposed to... Uh, as opposed to those beat poets and uh, Burroughs and Bukowski and all them. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks, Alex. Uh, John, you got anything else? No, uh, except for we'll have all your information in the show notes, Alex. So anybody looking, obviously, uh, oh, yeah. links for podcast, uh, Substack, all that will be in the show notes. But aside from that, no, this has been really fun. Enjoy talking Cronenberg. And uh, yeah, Alex, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me.